Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's double feature is Time Cop and Universal Soldier. That means that neither time nor the universe is going on police. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. You know better than to call us by such names. Well, I clearly didn't intend it in a serious manner. Well, the joke's going to be on you, Doug, because... Since we're vaccinated, we're allowed to go to movies and stuff now. I have an appointment to be vaccinated this week. I think I'm actually going to go see Spiral this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about, too. Yeah, I don't... It may be... It may be just... Head, like, just like, oh, now, now you guys will see Spiral in theaters and I won't look at you guys showing me. I was going to say, it may be deceiving, but I don't know. Those The trailers had me really convinced that it's not going to suck. Yeah, but I feel like the trailers to Jigsaw had me convinced of that, too. Yeah, I guess and, that's And I was wrong. Can I float something out there? It's possible sure. making those trailers are just doing it to convince you to see the movie. I think, I think yeah, but... Sometimes I see trailers and I'm like, well, that's going to suck. And it turns out I was right. So sometimes I fail. So, I, was gonna say, <laughs> I, like and, I, I feel like it's also one of those things that it's an actor who I don't expect to be in this type of role. Doing yeah, apparently a, he's the one who came up with the idea that, for the story and pitched, right. it, and pitched it to him. Right. Doing a vanity project that's a niche horror movie. And for some reason, those types of weird things almost always seem to work out in my favor. It's it either ends up being good or it ends up being so horrible that it's awesome to watch. You just enjoy the suffering. And I'm kind of rooting for him. Like, I don't hate Chris Rock. I want Chris Rock to have a cool, dramatic turn to his career and go all Tom Hanks on everybody. Win a bajillion awards. Be fun with that. <laughs> Pretty good on uh, far, but the season was kind of shitty, so I'd never finished it. I think that didn't the season kind of get fucked because of go. No, they ran the whole season. I just, uh, I just never finished it. Oh. I got really bored with it. And I'm like, oh, there's six episodes left. Well, well, I'll probably never watch those. And then just deleted them off my DVR. Which which show was it? I didn't hear it. It cut out. Fargo. Ah. Uh. I I not only have I never seen a single episode of Fargo, I've never seen the movie Fargo. What? Good lord. 
It's just one of those movies. I just never watched it. I don't know. You should watch it, and you should then watch the television show. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a lot of work. Not really. You just sit on the couch and push a couple of buttons, and then a thing happens mm-hmm. in front of you. It's... Yeah, but why would I do that whenever I have such high-quality television like Modoc to watch? Mm, is it any good? Because I've not heard any good things about it. I I would say it's it's good for what it is. Oh, that's never good. That's never a good a good precursor to whatever you're about to say. Well, well, it's like it's it's dumb and it's funny, and there's a lot of like inside jokes. But it's I I don't know. It's hard to describe. Like it's funny for somebody like me who gets that the character of Modok is a joke to begin with. I but kind of, I kind of got that from watching it. I'm like, oh, clearly. He's supposed to be funny in the show or in the comics, but I don't know that. So, well, but the, I think the whole the the thing that makes him the funniest is that he wasn't supposed to be funny in the comic books. It's just that that character, just by his existence, by the name they gave him and the look they gave him, and yeah, his backs all like everything to do with that character. It comes off as like some kind of parody or pastiche or something like that, even though it was done 100 percent seriously. But yeah, I actually I kind of prefer actual evil comic book Modoc to the mm-hmm. butt of the joke Modoc. But I get I get why people find it funny. Do you know what most people don't find funny? Uh, Jean Claude Van Damme. <laughs> I would I would agree with that. <laughs> joke yeah. joke delivery, not a strong suit of JCVD. <laughs> if you're if we're looking for proof of that, we will be discussing proof of that throughout tonight's conversation. Uh, so Noah picked a couple of Jean Claude Van Damme movies. Hurricane Kicks. Can we get? Can we just get it out of the way? And we're just going to say yeah. right now up front, he just is. So nobody has to ask any questions about why the U.S. soldier in 1969 Vietnam is a martial arts master. <laughs> he just is. Nobody has to ask any questions about why the police officer in 1994 who's being recruited for a special uh, force is a martial arts master. He just is. End of discussion. <laughs> Keeps up with it, too. Because he's JCVD. They they don't even... In in neither of these movies do they make any attempt to explain why he's a martial arts master at all. It's just... He just knows better martial arts than everybody, and that's just how it is. I just... I always imagine... He's also supposed to be... He's also supposed to be American in both these movies, and they never think to explain why he has a Belgian accent. They do in the one. I was going to say, they do make a great joke about it. They claim that there's just a bunch of people who speak French in the southern United States. And that sure. Well, that. well that's not... actually, that is that is 100% correct. There are not, a whole bunch of people who just straight up speak French in the southern United but, States. But there's not a bunch of people with Belgian accents. No, definitely not Belgians. French, yes. Cajun. Yes, Belgian. Uh, the most sure. Belgian we get is waffles, and I'm not even sure they're Belgian. I think that may just be one of our weird racist naming of things. Completely possible. I have no idea where 
waffles come from? Waffleonia. No, I don't know. Uh, Waffle Conda. Okay, let's stop this. Waffle, let's just fucking stop. Waffle Conda forever. It's not. Forever. No, stop it. <laughs> Do you want it with the Black Panther sauce or the Killmonger sauce? <laughs> Uh, Doug, do you want to uh, explain to people how, since last week we were talking about Vietnam vets, and how that theme is continuing over into Universal Soldier for this week? Yeah. So the theme from last week of Vietnam vets, combined with your guys' crappy jokes about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, Universal Soldier (laughs) is about Vietnam vets who are basically put into the Winter Soldier program. And... (laughs) Slightly less casual terrorism. Yes. It is, it is much less casual, I would suggest. But basically, um, yeah, so there's a bunch of soldiers put into the... Well, the movie opens in Vietnam, and Dolph Lundgren is, has lost his mind and is killing civilians and wearing a necklace made out of human ears. Mm-hmm. And Jean-Claude Van Damme is the good guy American soldier who's naturally going to try to stop yeah. him with his exquisite martial arts skills. They end up killing each other, um, and we see that something is happening because uh, the bodies are being written as missing in action as opposed to deceased and stuff like that we should mention we should mention uh american soldiers played by a belgian and a swede yes and one of those two guys does a much better job of covering his accent than the others we'll get into those discussions yeah, it's very, as we through. It's very good. <laughs> so um yeah anyways they wake up in 92, I guess this movie's supposed to be set. That's when it came out. I don't know if they say what year it's supposed the to be set. The far off future of 1992. And yeah, they're they're basically they're winter soldiers. They get woken up. They've been in, enhanced, and they are just perfect soldiers now. There's a team of them, and they get sent Honey. in for these like really over the top terrorist situations that never actually happen in the real world but happen all the time in movies from the 80s and 90s where it's like a bunch of hostages have been taken by people who just want to see all of their comrades let out of prison um, which probably is just a diehard reference in hiding but uh, yeah when they're on this mission they basically have the so there's, we've already had our Die Hard reference, now we have our First Blood reference, where they just basically have a bunch of flashbacks by everything seeming like it's reminding them of Vietnam. And our two main soldiers both start to kind of come out of their winter soldierness, and uh, they revert back to basically the last thoughts they had. So Dolph Lundgren's character goes nuts again, and just wants to kill everybody. And Jean-Claude Van Damme just wants to go home to his family, which kind of makes sense to be a thought that would be in a soldier's head. And the rest of the movie is just them chasing each other around and blowing shit up, kicking each other, kicking other people, that kind of stuff. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme trying to eat while people keep disturbing him. We're going to have a whole discussion about that because it is fucking hilarious. <laughs> and I have a theory when I did this on... When we did this on Drunken Zombie, I think we spent the majority of the review talking about that scene. All right. Uh, well, there are, there are two scenes in JCVD history that, that are on equal footing of... That they show that despite the fact that 
Jean-Claude Van Damme is no award-winning actor. He does have that weird charisma that you kind of go, yeah, I fucking like Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> the eating scene and the, uh, is it, I can't remember if it's in Kickboxer or Bloodsport, but the dancing scene in the that's bar. Kick, that's Kickboxer. Yes, Kickboxer. That's Kickboxer, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, those two those two movies have a plot so similar, I can barely separate them in my head. <laughs> yeah, but the equivalent scene in uh, Bloodsport would be the him getting chased around by Forrest Whitaker and the other guy through Hong Kong. And just the, uh, the, the Mentos scene? Yes, the Mentos scene. Mm-hmm. The fresh bang. Anyways, it, I have a theory about the scene in this movie, because... Um, I think it's pretty obvious what happens is these two guys are basically pitted against each other the entire movie and Dolph Lundgren gets a really cool scene where he is you know he's completely snapped and he basically takes over this grocery store because one of the side effects of this Winter Soldier program is that they have to be cool at all times so he's dragging some of his injured comrades in to put them in the thing into (laughs) the freezer and he just takes over this grocery store and we get this like horror movie scene of like guys eating raw steak right out of the counter and Dolph Lundgren walking around with a fucking necklace full made out of human ears just yelling and screaming about people who like he still thinks he's in Vietnam and nobody else knows what the fuck is going on and everybody's drenched in blood and it's great and I guarantee you what happened is like John Clyde Van Damme is like bullshit. He doesn't get one extra cool scene than me. I want a big fight scene. My <laughs> ego deserves a big fight scene too. And they're like, but who would you fight? Like you're not supposed to be fighting people. So they came up with this ridiculous concept of he goes into a restaurant, sits down, orders a whole bunch of food, which they gladly serve him. And then they go, well, do you have any money? And when he doesn't answer, immediately everybody in the bar tries to fight. <laughs> not just like, <laughs> not just the bouncers or anything, just everybody in that, like the whole town, every guy over four foot five in that town decides he's the one that could take out John Claude Van Damme, who then proceeds to beat the well, show. All of them uh, while stopping for snacks in between each kick. Well, technically, only Hank tried to fight him. But then once Hank got the shit kicked out of him, everybody else piled on. I guess that's true. <laughs> Fucking Hank. The rest Hank. of them, the rest of them you think were you're not gonna, You think you're going to hurt Hank? <laughs> <laughs> you, what a you are out of your depth, Hank. The thing is that that's hilarious in all of these types of action movies that make me laugh every time is it's always this, like, out of shape redneck walking up to a Jean-Claude Van Damme-looking motherfucker. Like... Or like an Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone or whoever. And it's like, obviously that guy can kick your ass. Like, at least some of the other guys in the bar are like these big muscle guys that they're obviously just stuntmen or whatever that they brought in to get beat up. But the guy, the, the one actual actor they have, he's just he's a fat guy who cooks at a bar. What makes him think that he can fight Jean-Claude Van Damme? It's not like Jean-Claude Van Damme is some skinny little run. Even if it was like Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris is a skinny little guy who can throw big kicks and stuff. Jean-Claude Van Damme is a big, muscular motherfucker. Who very clearly, nobody should try to fight. Well, except for that one time that in real life, a guy in a bar got into a fight with him and beat the shit out of him. Ah, irrelevant. Exactly. I guarantee you that Jean-Claude Van Damme actually went one-on-one with that guy in a fair situation, he would win. I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> well, uh, Steven if, Seagal. 
I was going to say, if I remember right, that other guy was a, like, fully trained martial artist. Um, like, no, was it? I don't even know. Yeah. If, if I remember right, it was some fucking one of those. Because it was before MMA was, like, the weird masturbatory fucking thing it is. But one of those assholes who has a black belt and fucking five different useless martial arts that just thought they were the king of the fucking world back then. Walked up to him and was like, yeah, you think you're badass in those movies, but you can't do that shit in real life. Kiyaw! <laughs> <laughs> right, well, we're off track here. Let's get back to Universal Soldier, because despite the hilarity of that one scene that we've decided to start with, and despite the fact that this is mm-hmm. really just Rambo meets the Winter Soldier, I actually really enjoyed watching this movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, and I was kind of worried that it would be cheesy and dumb, and I... It is not at all. It yeah, is a very I, solid action science fiction movie from the 90s, like way better than most of the ones we talk about. I was going to say, not only has it not lost any charm, I, on the rewatch, I was like, you know what? This is actually a better movie than I remember it being. Well, yeah, because I think like in, in your head, like especially because this movie came out in 92 and given our age category, we were all like teenagers watching it, right? So what we remember is like... Yeah, like what we remember is the necklace made out of human ears and we remember the blood and we remember the big action moments. But the story actually makes sense. The action is really quite good. They have a lot of different action, which I think is unique. Um, It's not just like just fistfights over and over again. There's a whole scene where the big bus thing that the Universal Soldiers travel in is chasing them, chasing down Jean-Claude Van Damme and he's in a like a normal sized bus and they're ramming into each other and stuff, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, like, there's a lot to be said about the quality of this movie. Some of the stuff that goes on, like some of the gore is really good um, as a horror fan. Like we can all appreciate that. But some of the scenes that go on where Dolph Lundgren has taken over like this command center and is like ordering around these people who clearly are not prepared to deal with the situation of one of the universal soldiers kind of waking up and thinking he's still in Vietnam. He, those doctor guys that then eventually try to take him out and stuff, they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. That all that stuff is like, it's legitimately tense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's and it's like this movie's made by Roland Emmerich. And I think he's like, honestly, the, the George Lucas of shitty action movies where he made these like <laughs> he made these like really good action movies in the 90s but then as the technology advanced and also because he had this level of success his his budgets got bigger and all of a sudden we're like oh no it was better when he was constrained by like 90s technology and and you know what i mean because all of a sudden he goes and he's doing like I'm thinking the day after tomorrow was one of his and other Ugh. stuff like that. And you're just like, I don't even, like, I don't even know. Cause I don't even watch his movies anymore, but you're like, Oh my God, when you go back and watch something like this, you're like, no wonder that guy's a big name director. Cause he does like, this is really solid action movie storytelling. It's, I, I can't think of really a lot of complaints about this movie. Yeah. Well, and well, as we were yeah. messaging about earlier, it, it deserves to be said that, Dolph Lundgren puts in a fucking performance in this movie, like a real legit (laughs) acting performance, because I once again, thinking back and remembering this movie, I remember Necklace of Ears and Dolph saying Dolph lines 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like those, like his weird pseudo uh, Stallone or whatever the fuck he does. Whenever I think of Dolph Lundgren, I automatically assume everything comes out in Ivan Drago's voice. Right. And in this movie, what's really spectacular about his performance in this movie, not only does he have a character, which is the guy we meet at the beginning of the movie and then reemerges later in the movie, but he creates a whole second character when he's in the Winter Soldier mode, where he's just like very stoic and serious but still like seemingly smarter than the other ones. Like there's a couple of moments where he, when they're, when he hasn't kind of come out yet and there's, they're still chasing Jean-Claude Van Damme's character around. He kind of is smarter than everyone else. And when Van Damme like sets a trap and takes out a bunch of guys by getting them caught on fire, he's smart enough to be waiting in Van Damme's car when he gets there and stuff like that. So he, he's unique despite being a member of this large group of guys who are all very stoic and serious. And then when he flips characters, he's a completely different guy. And that's hard to do in film, to be two different oh, yeah. people in the same movie. Mm. Well, and especially, just... Especially for Dolph. Yeah, and with... I mean, he's like... I, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain out of the context of, of Dolph Lundgren's full filmography... I don't know if everyone else has seen every shitty fucking movie that Dolph Lundgren's ever been in. No, we all have, yeah. Right. But I don't... He's so animated, and his his facial expressions are great. And, I mean, I would put... I would put this performance in this particular film on par with just about anything that Bruce Willis was doing at about the same time. And Bruce Willis went on to be a giant, huge star while Dolph Lundgren... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> finished out his PhD and is a super genius. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say anything he does, Dolph Lundgren does here is comparable to Die Hard, but it would be comparable to the Die Hard sequels as far as quality. Yeah. I just, and, I, yeah. And like I said, char- charismatic and animated. And I, I, it, it reminded me of why they ended up putting him in all these fucking movies. Cause I, it's one of those things where you always wonder, you're like, how many fucking flops could he be in? And they still go, no, we can put him in as this guy and everybody will dig it. And you're like, but why? And it's like, oh, because apparently if he's got the right director, he can put in a really good fucking performance. Well, and he even like, we kind of alluded to this jokingly, but he does a really good job of covering up his accent in this better than I've ever seen him in any other movie to date. Right. And it's like, it's fantastic because because I know what he sounds like, you know what I mean? And so when I'm watching this movie, it almost seemed like it was almost odd that he was doing such a good job covering it up. And it made me wonder why he doesn't cover it up in every other movie where he's playing an American or whatever. Yeah. We got to remember he did masses of the universe five years before this movie. Yeah. And somehow it got so much better by the time he hit this movie and then forgot it all after this. Yeah. No, it's it, for a guy that, I mean, like, yeah, you could say, Ivan Drago, he did a really good job in that role, but it wasn't a particularly demanding role, right? Um, no. It was it was a role. I must break you. Game. Yeah, um, but like it's that, and then it's this are the only two times where I would really compliment his act. You know, yeah. um, I don't think there's many other examples of it that I can think of. There's might be stuff I haven't seen. Probably is. 
because even movies that we've yeah, liked him in, such as like like we like we all I think were in favor of the Punisher. We all thought that was a good movie. Yeah, but but I don't think you would argue he did a great acting performance. We would say he did a a good job of being big and scary. Looking. Right. I mean his his role as street preacher on Giant Amonic a couple weeks ago was amazing. Well, there's some disagreement about that, and we don't need to go back to that. <laughs> I was going to say, it once once again, I dig it, but it was a, a big, cheesy performance, which is an entirely different thing. Yeah. He was an Aquaman? I didn't even know that. I accept that. I haven't seen it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays the king. Yeah, man. Yeah. Since I haven't watched it, I had no idea. We yeah, still need like to put Kindergarten lines. Cop 2 on the list. Uh, I'm not sure if we do, actually. <laughs> there might be some reasons. I don't know if I ever need to see any Kindergarten Cop movie ever again. Oh, not even the first one again? Who is your daddy and what does he do? It's not a tumor. Stop, stop. <laughs> We're talking about Universal Soldier. We don't need to go on Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, quotes. It's not a dead soldier. Uh, so, question in this movie: there, there is a scene that that makes perfect sense at first, and then as it goes on, it makes less and less sense. The scene of Dolph Lundgren attacking the gas station. I guess, I guess this is before he takes over. So, the evil military <laughs> attacking the gas station in order to catch yeah. Jean Claude Van Damme. And throughout the course of things, first we figure out that oh, there's there's an ice bag sitting outside of the ice chest in front of the gas station. Ah, maybe Jean-Claude Van Damme's in the in the ice container, right? And they go in, turns out it's a trap, blows up the whole gas station. Jean-Claude pops out of the trunk of the car filled with ice bags, and you're like, ah, see, he was in the trunk cooling off. But then the lady gets out of the car next to it, and, th- and that trunk, also filled with ice bags. Oh, and then no, this makes... This, and this then does the third make sense. guy pops out of the trunk, also filled with ice bags. Yeah, no, they because when the when they're tracking the Universal soldiers, they use their, um, they do use body heat scanning. Ah, so they, would, they would, and that they, I mean, you have to be paying attention to the dialogue yeah. to pick up on that, and right, it is a big saw, action moment. So, it, I, but it, I, it does I make sense. I retract everything that that does make sense now, because I was it, in context in my brain. I was thinking it was because they needed to chill him off again. But I was like, but they don't need to chill those other two people off. No, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the added benefit of chilling him off was there, but it, it was to hide from the censors. That scene is a great moment in this movie, though, because we have so we have John Claude Van Damme showing up and doing his like performance where he's got to cut like a, a sensor out of his leg or whatever, um, and that's all fine. But then when the other Universal soldiers show up, we have a pretty decent action moment with the explosion. We get like some decent like like they're they're all on fire, still walking around, some like horror movie type stuff going on, which is kind of fun in a science fictiony action movie. And then we get a little bit of comedy because we have that guy that owns the gas station. He's the third one that's hiding in the ice. And he he gets out and looks around for a moment and just goes, fuck this, and climbs back in the trunk with the ice. <laughs> and it's actually pretty funny. And you're like, they're really pulling off all of the different kind of action movie stuff, right? You're getting your, your explosions. You're getting your kind of like darker, more serious implications of the violence. 
and then you're getting a little bit of humor thrown in. It's all the different things you want to see in an action movie mixed into one scene, and they all work, which is like kind of what I would say about this whole movie is it's it's all that stuff all working together. I agree. Also, jump kicks. Yes, lots and lots of jump <laughs> kicks. When they get to that final fight, so the final fight happens at like John Claude Van Damme's parents' farm, right? That's how we know that he's from down south and they speak French and all that. But yeah. when so he felt like there's a you know a pretty cheesy moment where he manages to grab a bit of the super super soldier serum and stick himself with it, so now he can stand up to Dolph Lundgren again after getting his ass kicked a bit. And he just does so many fucking flying kicks. So <laughs> I, I will say there is a moment at the end of this movie that, that shocked me to my very core because apparently I misremember it and it, it's very upsetting. Whenever he finishes him off by kicking him into the combine, yep. he's doing that kick combination. And in at the very end, he pulls back and he goes into the pose. And I was like, ah, yes, hurricane kick into the combine. <laughs> then no, sidekick. I was like, oh, no hurricane kick finisher. <laughs> what the fuck? I was like, my entire childhood is destroyed. I remember every single film ending with him hurricane kicking somebody <laughs> into victory. In the interest of fairness, I think... I think it's Death Warrant is the one where he like gives delivers like nine hurricane kicks in a row at the end. <laughs> well, I'm not even talking about multiple, but it, I it just I thought it was in his movie contract that the movie ends with hurricane kick. Yeah, it is rather surprising that it's not a hurricane kick, but you know what are you gonna do? You got to differentiate things. Maybe that's why Roland Emmerich is the perfect director to work with Jean Claude Van Damme. So. Was it because he had to deliver that cheesy like one-liner and then do the kick? Maybe he couldn't do yeah, both. Maybe. What was, the, my, what was the my, one-liner again? Because it's not good. Uh, you're dead, soldier. No, I am alive. And then oh. kicks him. Yeah, because he's repeating what that reporter told him earlier. So the best line in the entire movie is, "Are you French? Is that why you have the accent?" And he goes, "What accent?" <laughs> <laughs> we should mention that there was a reporter character like i already said the movie came out in 1992 so i guess people just assumed there was a reporter character <laughs> traveling with john claude van damme the whole time okay. but in case people didn't know that um so she she's just kind of our point of view character who gets to travel with john claude and help him uncover the truth of what happened go meet the law and order guy and then of course For you get a long got a liberal you get the long, lingering shot of Jean-Claude Van Damme's nude, well-muscled, hairless ass. Because yeah, that's, that's, that, in the that's also too. yeah, that's also in the contract. And you know what? I'm not into dudes, but even I have to say, if I had an ass like that, I'd probably be walking around showing people my ass all the time too. <laughs> like, look at this ass, rock hard. I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I. I would certainly be less embarrassed to be naked in public if I was Jean-Claude Van Damme than I am as myself, so. Have you tested this theory? No, because I don't know how to... Oh, okay. I don't know what the control group would be. I can't go outside naked, come back in, and then go back outside looking like Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> well, I would, I would say due to the 
the shifting of the age group. If it had been at that time, it would have been the 20 somethings. But now you're looking at the 30 to 50 somethings. You need, you need those ladies looking at your ass. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> matter. It, the, the age group was not going to be the deciding factor. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on from this discussion. Um, what else about this movie did you guys like? Because it sounds like we're all very positive on it. And I'm, I have to admit, I'm a little surprised by how positive we all are, including myself. No, I don't, I've been a big I, fan of this. I've been a big fan of this movie forever. Yeah. Even after, uh, like, everybody kind of stopped watching Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. I was still like, yeah, but Universal Soldier is pretty kick-ass. I would still watch it on a regular basis, so. Okay. Right. I, I, I just, I don't have a single fucking complaint about this movie. It even, it even doesn't have, so there's, there's a certain type of lack of diversity in the film due to when when it was filmed, but it doesn't even have any of the weird overt racist stuff that normally happens in one of these films that you're like, damn it. I knew they snuck one in. No. There are the Universal Soldiers are a surprisingly diverse group. Tiny Lister plays one of them, and uh, there's a couple. Which uh, did he, did anybody notice his eyepiece was on the other side? No. Yeah, they legit had to retrofit his his eyepiece because if he would have worn it like everybody else, uh, it would have covered up his good eye. And that's not even a joke. That's in the trivia. Okay, that's awesome. That's interesting. I didn't pick up on it. Did you guys notice that the eyepieces were on them just so they could have the RoboCop reference of like the point of view shot from the soldier with it all blurry and robot-y? <laughs> I guess it might be a Terminator reference, but it felt more RoboCop-y to me. There, were, there is a Especially lot. Especially when... Uh... We'll get into that with the next movie, too. There's a lot of like very obvious lifts from previous action movies. <laughs> Uh, especially when uh, Miguel Ferrer showed up and called him a bad motherfucker for some reason. Yeah, that's a RoboCop joke for everybody. They should they should remake this movie, but with uh, with Scotty and Dave Batista. Scotty Batista? No, Scotty Scotty Atkins. Dave oh, Batista. okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, honestly, they could. Yeah, they could there I know there's a bunch of sequels to this and I've seen some of them at various points. They're not good. Um, yeah, I know there's supposed to be a couple that are better, but I watched one of the ones that was supposed to be good and it wasn't, so I didn't <laughs> um I didn't bother to well, check out the other ones that were supposed to be good. Well, they made two for cable that I've never seen that nobody from the first movie was in. Right. And then Jean-Claude Van Damme came back for the return didn't see it I'm sure it was probably terrible was that the one Goldberg was in probably I can't remember and then I think yeah it was Scott Atkins was in the last two I say with a high pitched voice Scott Atkins was at least in the last one I know that for sure and I've heard it's pretty good but I've never actually watched it I mean I don't hate the idea of of, uh some sort of soft reboot or remake of this with Batista and a good modern day action figure. 
Batista and the yeah. Rock. Can the Rock pretend yeah. to be have no charisma for a few scenes? <laughs> probably not. Never mind. Probably that was not. a bad example. Just whew. I just can't do it, guys. I'm sorry. Just, just don't impress anyone with your witty one-liners for this scene. I can't. Sorry. Um, I can't turn it off. Yeah. So, yeah, Scott, Scott Atkins is in the last one that's been made from 2012. Um, the interesting thing is at the end of this movie, Dolph Lundgren gets, you know, shredded up in that uh, thresher machine. Yes. Well, apparently it wasn't too bad because he comes back for. Oh, he comes back one. from yeah. that. Yep, <laughs> that's outstanding. I can accept. I can accept a lot of things in weird movie logic, but you very literally see him get chunks sprayed out the back of that machine. Oh yeah, it's pretty fantastic to watch. I enjoy watching it, but pretending he can come back from that is pretty far fetched. Unless uh, he's actually a wolfman and this follows Monster Squad rules. So, from, from what I've heard, I think this last one deals with clones or something. Okay. Uh, but Van Damme's actually the bad guy in it, along with Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Scott Atkins is the good guy. So, I don't know. I've heard it's pretty good. I, I'm kind of interested in giving it a watch at least, but... You let us. Like I'm not gonna. Pay, I'm not gonna pay to rent it. Yeah, I'm not gonna pay to rent it. If I could watch it somewhere for free, I'll definitely watch it. But uh, good old Scotty. But then do I have to watch the other ones so I know what's going on? I like on? watching. I like no. watching him kick people too. Not as much as I like watching Sean Claude kick people, but I do like watching him. Play. I don't. I don't think anybody ever kicked people as good as Jean Claude Van Damme. Right. That's just how it is. Not even. Not even Chuck Norris. Nope. Ooh. Shots fired, Chuck Norris. Yeah. And then I would say uh, Bruce Lee, he, he's he got that oh, great yeah. gut punch. Mm-hmm. Like them fast hands. He got them fast hands that nobody else got. Sure. So three big recommends for Universal uh, Soldier. Yeah. For sure. Oh, buy it. Yeah, I've, I've yeah, I, been a fan yeah. of this movie for a while. I, I, I gotta say, like, I, I was trying to do the math in my head, and I think it's been, like, probably about six, seven years since I saw this movie. And I'm like, why don't I watch it more? Like, I must have enjoyed it when I watched it back then, but I don't really remember it, you know? My memories are all from 12-year-old me getting excited about just seeing these two guys in the same movie. It has a little yeah. bit more blood in it than I remember. No, it's... The gore element is very, very well done. It's legit. Like the opening scene in Vietnam is a really well shot war movie scene, which it, then it completely the tone completely shifts into this sort of modern sci-fi action movie. But that when that first guy, like when Dolph's character just shoots that guy in the head for no reason, that's pretty fucking gory. I liked it a lot. It's, it's a hard R movie, and I enjoy that about it. Yeah. Apparently that was shot on a golf course. All right. Golf course in some, Vietnam? No, in uh, Arizona. Okay. Some random thing on, on IMDb, and I'm like, really? Golf course? Right. It doesn't look like a golf course. Weird. Weirdly enough, more people died on that golf course. <laughs> um, all right. Well, since you love talking about Van Damme kicking people so much, you want to tell us about Time Cop, Noah? 
Yeah, time cop. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme just got a new job with some mysterious uh, thingy-mabobber. It's like a police <laughs> agency with a weird name. Turns out, time travel. But before then, a uh, bunch of random dudes show up, beat him up, kill his wife. So the only response to that is mullet, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> like, yes. future, future mullet. <laughs> it was 1994, and they were trying to predict what haircuts would be popular amongst police officers in the time travel industry in 2004. That's a hard thing to do, all right? Uh, yeah. And uh, so basically, somebody has discovered time travel. They've also discovered a way to detect shifts in the timeline. So they make a time cop agency. Ah, ah. Mm-hmm. And he goes back in time to stop these time criminals who, from the description and the plot of the movie, sounds like almost every time criminal is actually an ex-time cop who just decides to go back <laughs> Well, that's not entirely fair, because that one guy is a politician who hires ex-time cops and sends them back. Right. Uh, Yeah, and so then, of course, it turns out that the the politician in charge of the time program is actually secretly using the time program to reset things, make himself rich, and eventually make himself president. Uh, We don't get a lot of time travel rules like you normally do in a time travel movie. Instead, the only big rule is same matter can't occupy the same space, which means if you go back in time and you touch yourself, you'll die horribly. Um, Although that doesn't entirely make sense because you're not, you're not made of the same matter. Once you're (laughs) even, I mean, even a year older, I can't remember. It's like the entire skin on your body is replaced every so often and all of your blood's replaced within a few months you're look you can't go forward you can only go past if you go past and change something it does affect the future and if you touch yourself in the past you morph into some weird cartoon monster thing but yeah that's it those are the rules don't question it. yeah you break you, if you touch yourself in the past you break the uh versimilitude or whatever of the movie by by being the one terrible special effect in the entire movie. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's utterly horrible and it's the climax of the movie. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why is it the one because even even the time the the like warping popping through time effect yeah. isn't it isn't great, but it's like, okay, yeah, but that's that's just what time frame we were in for CGI and then yeah. and it's fine. Like, that nothing tank wrong blob thing is yeah, I'm actually a big fan of it. Like just popping into like existence or whatever. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I had no problem with it. Yeah, but it's super fun. Uh, it's very 90. He does stop a rollerblading criminal twice. Fuck, when he stopped that rollerblading <laughs> criminal a second time in the same movie. And I'm just like, oh my god, really? Rollerblading through a mall. Why not? Like, you don't have to have a neon sign with the word 90s written on it across the street at all times. <laughs> Fuck. This is for what you're going to do. <laughs> think yeah. that guy steals that lady's purse now? Yeah. And then it's it and this movie has such sweet ass moments as uh Jean-Claude Van Damme beating a bad guy. 
by doing the splits across the kitchen counter while wearing tight, tight shorty shorts. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Everybody remembers that scene. Yeah. Fuck. It, it could have been bare ass. So, I mean, we're lucky. Oh, God. Uh, they were shooting for that, the PG-13 on this one. I, I was getting ready to say that angle with those splits, you would have seen. Way too much asshole in the balls. <laughs> you would have you would have seen all of it. The right camera angle, you'd have seen his tonsils from there. <laughs> yeah, <geez. laughs> been right up Main Street. Anyways, uh, I did like that one of the henchmen apparently shopped at the uh, Nasty Boys shop. Yep. He does. He does look like the nasty boys. That's that's a very '90s thing as well. Like they just fucking have like all the henchmen are dressed differently for some reason, rather than giving them character development or names. We just have them dressed differently. So when he's kicking them, we know which one he's kicking. <laughs> We've got the obligatory. Uh, oh, the new partner who's this uptight cop is actually working for the bad guys. And by bad guy, you just mean bearded Donald Trump, right? Because that's effectively what this guy was. <laughs> I was, I was getting ready. I would call him lesser. Uh, God damn it! Now my brain's not working. The bad guy from Die Hard, Hans no, Gruber. He's, he's no Hans. Yes, Gruber. Hans Gruber. No. He is. Yes. He, he is generic dime store Hans Gruber. He's he's like the the Chinese knockoff toy Hans Gruber. So he's basically Donald Trump Jr. Yeah, like, I'll I'll, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that he's got the appearance of Hans Gruber, but his his goals are much loftier. His goals are literally he's like I want to make it like the '80s again, so I want the economy to just benefit the top ten percent and the hell with everybody else. And it's like, God, you're just it's like that they out. need a they need a rich person in power because then he cannot be bought. And I'm yeah. just like, whoo boy, yeah. We, we tested some of these, and they didn't work out too well. It's funny how many times the villain in a movie from the late 80s and early 90s is just Donald Trump. And sometimes on purpose, and other times by coincidence. I think this one's by coincidence. Um, so you are you a fan of this one, Doug? Uh, no, not really. Uh, it was all right. Boo, boo! Like, like, I liked a lot of the ideas of it. But it just suffers from that 90s thing where it's like it feels like it's going through the motions rather than actually engaging me. It didn't have that, you know, that excitement that the previous film had. Um, I mean, a lot of it is fine, right? And like I like I liked the um, the effect, like for looping in and out of time. I thought that was pretty entertaining when they did the uh, the one guy that his travel back to the 1929 to buy stock right after it crashed and he jumps out the window to try to escape Jean-Claude Van Damme and Jean-Claude Van Damme brings him back to time and he's put on trial and sentenced to death and all they do is bloop him back when he's in the middle of his fall <laughs> so if you're you know if you're in 1929 all you would see is a guy come out the window fall he disappears for a split second reappears and smashes on the pavement which I thought was pretty good um, there was stuff like that that I enjoyed but I felt like like the whole plot line with Van Damme's wife getting killed and at the end we're supposed to care that he's going to be able to save her or not and I just don't I don't feel like we got enough time with those characters we didn't get to know them so I don't really care if she lives or dies um, but she you know, was really like hot naked Doug that should be she, enough she's she's very very hot but 
that's not that's not enough. Maybe that was enough pre-internet that you could just have a hot chick in a movie and be like, oh, I hope she lives so she'll be naked in a different movie. Uh, played by Ferris Bueller's girlfriend, if, you, if anyone at home hasn't seen the movie and is wondering who we're mm-hmm. talking about. Um, but yeah, there was, there was a lot of that. It felt like the end, a lot of the running around seemed like an excuse to have two Jean-Claude Van Dams on screen, which again is a good idea. Have two Jean-Claude Van Dams on screen. One is a mullet, one is no mullet, and they're both trying to fight the bad guys. That's an awesome idea. But... It just felt like they went, okay, we need to do that, so just write whatever to make that happen, rather than an actual, like, good plot reason, and an actual story-driven reason to have it happen. Do you know what I mean? Uh, no, I will say boo, because I I thoroughly enjoy this movie. Really? Yes. As time travel, which makes me ha- super happy. It's got Jean-Claude Van Damme, which makes me super happy. Cool. And it's got Jean-Claude Van Damme's mullet, which makes me even happier. It it does, I will say, it does the one thing that, like, because I'm generally a bit of a sucker for time travel, I do enjoy it. But whenever a movie is set in the future, and then they time travel back to the present, I'm like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I get it, because obviously Terminator did it, and it's the exception to the rule. Um, but it seems like everybody else thought they could do that as a way to make cool time travel movies without... Uh, an exploding budget, I guess. And it's like, no, I don't. It's kind of annoying that you have a time travel and you use it to come to right now. Like, I don't want you to come to right now. That's not the part that's interesting to see in time travel, generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, we spent some time in the future. We got to see those awesome cars made by Elon Musk and, uh, yeah. you know, the, you guys, uh, the, fu- the future Alexa from 2004 that he had you, in his apartment. Did you guys notice that the future was the Running Man universe? Like, they literally, like, when they walk into the apartment, it's just like in the Running Man movie when they walk in and, like, speak out loud to have the TV come on and stuff. And then I'm like, okay, that feels very Running Man to me. And then when they go to launch into their time machine to travel to the past, it's just those car things that they shoot into the screen. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, all right. That's fine. If you're going to rip off a movie, that's the one you can rip off. Brian, have you nice. ever read the uh, the comic book that this movie is based off of? I have not. Neither have I. I've always meant to. You know, it's like a limited run. There's only like three issues. Yeah, was it three issues because they just never finished it? Or no, no, it was. Uh, I remember the story because it's it's Dark Horse, mm-hmm. uh, early '90s, but it was like the actual Dark Horse comic, so the the anthology series Dark Horse. Ah, okay. And that it's just a, yeah, and it's just like a three part series that ran through that. Apparently, the movie and the comic book have very little to do with each other other than the main character's name and the time enforcement agency or whatever. Mm-hmm. See, I was actually yeah. the comic would be similar in storyline. So I think it, I think there's an interesting story to be told here that you could do as more of like a thriller movie and less of an action movie. That could be quite interesting and kind of amp up the sci-fi elements of it a bit. Uh, if I Maybe they right, use that some... for, for Time Cop 2. Somebody said something about the ending of the comic book series uh, seemed really progressive at the time, and now you look at it and you're like, ew, white savior. Because <laughs> I guess it's... Some guy goes back in time to South Africa to do something, and... Max's 
presence there is actually what leads what's oh god damn it what's the guy's the civil rights guy is it Mbogo? i can't remember the guy's name but but leads to that guy becoming wealthy which which kind of was the the genesis of the civil rights movement that (laughs) led to the end of apartheid in south africa and it's like oh great you just gave credit for (laughs) the end of apartheid to a a random fucking white guy (laughs) (laughs) who didn't even do it on purpose it was just incidental of all of his other heroics um i did sort of enjoy jean-claude van damme's uh i mean he doesn't express it much because it's jean-claude van damme and he hasn't worked up those acting chops yet but um sort of his his uh anger towards everybody else because he's not allowed to go back and save his wife so when people go back to like steal money and shit he's just like no fuck that they don't get to do that shit i did, i liked that element of the character again i'm not maybe this movie needed a different actor i know you're gonna get mad at me for saying that but nah. maybe but who would have kicked all those guys <laughs> so I'm saying maybe have a kicking movie and a time travel movie and make them different movies because obviously I don't want to reduce the amount of people that get kicked by Jean-Claude Van Damme overall but having somebody in there that could have expressed that anger a little bit more and that frustration and that idea that his motivation for being such a dedicated cop was the fact that he's not allowed to use time travel so therefore he doesn't think anybody should kind of thing Mm-hmm. I also think they should have played with more. I liked the idea. It's like, it's the Back to the Future 2 idea of he goes back and he doesn't know that the other guy is traveling as well. So then when he gets back to the to the regular, his regular time, which is 2004, everything's different and nobody understands what he's talking about. I liked that. I wish mm-hmm. they'd been able to play with that more. And they did, they did sort of the thing where his, like, his best buddy, who's like his captain or whatever, like, had like an inherent trust for him and there was some kind of a connection there and he was able to convince him to go along with his plan even though the guy didn't know what he was talking about I liked that idea it was all interesting but it wasn't really explored much yeah I like that idea one thing that did bother me is that uh, he's a time cop he works for a company that deals with changing timelines and stuff yeah, and and he somehow becomes amazed when stuff changes, and he's uh, just walking around looking like he's lost. Like what? I can't believe like all this. Uh, what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say stuff to this person that they should know that just happened 15 minutes ago in the movie, but now they don't know what it means, and I'm mystified by that. It's like yeah. come on, you should know again, better. Again, it feels like nobody cared enough to kind of delve into all that stuff the way that you need to, to make it good. Um, because this movie was made in the nineties. Right. And it just, it sort of feels very much like they're like, Oh, here's an interesting idea. Throw in the movie, but we don't know how to explore that properly. Cause even when people don't believe him, you're like, well, why wouldn't people believe him? They, they still know he's a time cop. Like, so if he comes back and says, oh, there's been a change that you guys aren't aware of, they should say, oh, well, we have a, a system for dealing with that. And how do you how can you prove to us that this change has happened and whatever else? Right. 
Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of that like 80s cop logic where the cop walks in and says like that guy that's running for president is illegally time traveling in order to take over. And they're all like, well, unless you have 100% proof right now, then there's nothing we can do. We just have to abandon the whole thing. You know, that it's like, well, what, maybe, I don't know, you guys are cops, maybe you can investigate it? I don't know. How about that idea? Well, they can't because that one guy who was a cyber pervert somehow turns into a perfect gentleman just because that one dude's being elected president. Well, because that's how you demonstrate that everything has changed. Again, in a, in a oh, very easy way. But I did like that that dude was like, a cyber pervert. I thought that was pretty funny. When the guy comes in, he's like, I catch you fucking that computer one more time, I'm gonna have your ass or whatever. <laughs> and I'm just like that's pretty hilarious. And I just I just and I just love that he just laughs at him and then goes about his job. Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea that he was doing it at work. Like he's it's like, yeah, it's my job to send people back in time, but when I have downtime I just have cyber sex with a computer program. In the middle of my office in front of everybody. <laughs> like a bunch of glass walls cool. around me. Uh, what about you, Noah? Um, do you enjoy this movie? Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I think everyone knows that all the complaints I made did not bug Noah. <laughs> no. We all know that. No, not even slightly. I only have one complaint in this entire movie, and that is that horrible CGI effect at the end. Yeah, it's terrible. It really, it really fucks things up. Uh, I also think some of the time travel stuff could have been more clever. Sure. I don't know. I, I think the first time I saw it, I thought the clever ending was going to be that future him went in the house, saved the wife, and then took her to the future so that it didn't change the timeline. He still thought he lost his wife. Does that sure. make sense? Because you don't actually see her die. You just see her in the window wrestling with somebody, and then all of a sudden the house explodes. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. I just like that, uh, again, somebody who works for a time agency comes home, is amazed to see his wife, and is like, oh, shit, I must have changed stuff. But he's still kind of mystified. And then she, who obviously knows that he works for a time travel agency now... And has seen him, the future version of him in the past. It's just like, what? What's wrong? And he feels like he can't just explain that to her. Well, just be like, hey, remember, remember when I went back and you saw a future me and we killed all those people? Yeah, that was today. And then she'd be like, oh, okay. Now, now we can talk about it. Well, you know, and there's that whole uh, what what was that old series the after the credits or whatever it was called where they were talking about the consequences that nobody talks about. <laughs> How does he explain to his fucking son that he cannot remember the last five years of his life? <laughs> <laughs> he can't remember years. his first birthday. Uh, it's been yeah. ten years. That's even worse. That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, like he, yeah. he doesn't know any. That kid's nine years old and he's he thinks he's known his dad his whole life, but his dad thinks he's meeting him for the first time. That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, not to the kid, but to a viewer. Come on, Dad. Let's read our favorite book. And he goes over to the bookcase and is just like, uh. <laughs> it's, just, it's just that meme where he's just got all the sweat coming off his forehead and he's got two books to try to pick from. <laughs> uh, 
Mm. Goes outside to throw a ball with the kid, and the kid's throwing signs to him, and he doesn't know what they mean. <laughs> I just <laughs> to save your mom. We hadn't named you yet. I don't know your name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kid starts he... having like a like a fucking asthma attack or something, and he has to call his wife, and he's like, "Where's his medicine at?" He'd be like, "You know where we keep it." And then she just hangs up on him, and he's like, "Oh no." <laughs> I sort of feel like that this movie should have ended with a moment. Um, now, granted, like I'm picking from better movies and asking them to like predict what was going to come. But do you remember the Days of Future Past moment when Wolverine's walking around all confused and Xavier's like, "Oh, I I knew this day was coming. Come on in. I'll let you know what's going on," kind of thing. And I feel like that's what this movie needed was like the wife realizing. Oh shit! You just woke up. Okay, let me fill you in a little. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I always think it's hilarious too because we always like we go in and so the wife's alive and the kids alive and you're like, all right, everything's perfect. I feel like there could be a fun post-credit sequence as well, though, where we find out, yeah, but you got fired. You didn't save your wife, and everybody found out, and that's illegal. So you got fired from your cop job and security guard at Sears now. But you know. <laughs> Well, technically, he does have a case because she only died because that one dude went back and changed the past. Yeah, it's true. To eliminate him so that he could then say, well, technically, I did my job and I fixed it. You could argue that, but I don't think this movie cares. I think this movie is just like, it's happy because his wife's back and you're like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, as soon as he gets in that house. His time travel shenanigans it, it cease to exist. Yeah. He's like, I'm never going back to work again. Yeah. Which means we'll lose this nice house that we live in because we... <laughs> Which looks like the same house that blew up. So it looks very did, similar. Yeah. Did they, like, rebuild it? Like, piece I for guess. piece? I mean, I guess you get the insurance money. I mean, I guess so, but are you just like, well, fuck this, let's just go buy a new house? Or are you like, nope... We're rebuilding this house beat for beat. If we want the exact same house we were already in. We need to really make sure we don't confuse him the day he comes home from work and can't remember his son. (laughs) (laughs) He needs a house he's already familiar with, so he'll know where all the rooms are. In the interest of fairness to this movie, these are just standard time travel complaints we're having right now. They oh, totally. almost everything. My assumption would be that him, his memories will fill in the longer he's in this timeline. But Yeah, they don't know. address that because they do have some neat moments in this movie that I think are ahead of their time for time travel movies. Like we're, like the one, uh, the Ron Silver character who, I think it's actually they do a really good job of, they gray up his beard just a little bit for the 10 year older version of him. So when they're in the same room, mm. you know which one's which. And when the one guy falls down and you see the CGI cut form on the the other guy's head like the scar from the other guy falling down i thought they did a good job mm-hmm. of that um you know it's it's 90 cgi but that's what they could do at the time and it, i think that it worked and there's some other stuff like that yeah. like where they they kind of acknowledge the there's at one point when there's two john claude van dams and the one guy's like laying there and he's like go find the other one and kill him sir he's dead He's obviously not dead, or this one wouldn't be here. <laughs> I'm like, it's a good point. <laughs> it's like, why are my henchmen so incompetent? Jesus. But I mean, of course, it also falls that like now we're into the 
really ridiculous movie tropes of like this guy's like running for president he's sending people to travel through time to effectively just steal money so that he can buy the campaign um and yet (laughs) when it comes to this one particular night he travels back himself and is actually pulling the trigger on murders himself and stuff and you're like i didn't get one of those i guess you don't get those henchmen to do it because they're so incompetent but yeah they've tried multiple times they can't get it done it's like this time i'll go myself Definitely not. Well, since that didn't work out, let's send more henchmen to the same time when they failed before. Yeah. And maybe that will help. Now. Again, we're getting into like, because you could make that argument with the Terminator films like a hundred times. You're like, well, they sent, you know, they sent the, the, the original Terminator back and, and uh, Kyle Reese was able to save her. Okay, we'll just send the other, a second Terminator to that same timeline now that you know exactly where they'll be fighting and you just have a second Terminator show up and shoot her in the back of the head while her and Reese are firing at the previous Terminator but, you know that would take a little bit of the fun out of the sequels for sure because we definitely need T2 pretty much anything else we could do without yeah anyways uh, alright any other comments about Time Cop before we move on no, a lot of good ideas. Typical 90s filmmaking, though. This director and Jean-Claude Van Damme did work together again the next year for Die Hard in a Hockey Rink. So we will be covering that one yeah. as well, I'm sure. That was the last Van Damme Did we not cover the that one yet? I thought we did. No. No, it's been it's on, on the, the list, list for a long time. Because it's, it's... it's called Sudden Death, right? Yeah. Was yeah. it not in the Sudden Death episode? Did we end up doing two other sudden deaths? We haven't done a sudden death episode. No, I think we tried to do a sudden death episode, and then we just yelled at each other about which sudden deaths to do, and eventually didn't do one. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, I think at one point we even talked about doing sudden death month, because there's so many movies called sudden death, and we couldn't narrow it down, so we just gave up. And it still just says sudden death 1995 slash question marks on the list. <laughs> Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, so what did everybody watch since last week? Uh, I watched that MODOK. Yeah. yeah. All right. Did we talk about that on mic, or did we talk about that before we started recording? Well, we talked about it on mic. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's Patton Oswalt. It's pretty funny with a specific type of humor to it. It very much feels mm-hmm. like a robot chicken sketch that goes on way too long. Yeah, I I enjoyed watching I it. I just about. don't I don't know that I'm gonna want to tune in every week to watch it. That's gonna be my thing. Yeah. Did you watch Did you watch the whole thing? I think so. <laughs> sure. Lots of question marks. Lots yeah, of question marks in these. In these Why are you saying did I watch the whole thing? Oh, yeah. are you asking did I shut it off or did I not shut it off? Well, I'm just I just didn't know if you had already watched the entire first season. Oh no, I think I only watched one episode. I think that's all I have access to so far. Oh, they're releasing yeah, they weekly up there. I think I might be mistaken. I might, but it's not sitting in my continue watching section. So I, yeah, because they don't have Hulu up there. 
I thought yeah, so. I watched yeah. it through Disney Plus. Oh, okay. So yeah. A different setup. Yeah, so you're getting a different release schedule. Yeah, Hulu had dropped all at once. Okay. Uh, it's it starts off all right. There's kind of a weird lull in the middle, but then I kind of I feel like the last two episodes go out pretty strong. So I don't know. I don't know where I am with it. It it tries to. The problem is, is it's goofy as fuck. And then all of a sudden in the last episode or two, they kind of try to get all emotional on you, which is weird. That's a weird juxtaposition to be. Well, in episode one, his wife demands a divorce. So I assume that storyline continues. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That goes on. And in kind of it's I'm assuming it's not a spoiler for everyone to understand that the idea is that he's a shitty supervillain and that his wife asked for a divorce in episode one and that the rest of the season is about him kind of realizing the damage that he's done to his wife and children <laughs> while, while still being a supervillain. But yeah, it's got its, it's got its things. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it for people. I mean, it's, I don't really think it's a show that you need to worry about having spoiled, but <laughs> You never know. Some yeah. people get weird about stuff like that. Yeah. I would say the end, the 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 actual season ender is a big spoiler. Like it's kind of one of those things that I don't know if you entirely see it coming. But yeah, I don't know. I I thought it was worth a watch, but it's one of those ones I don't know who I'd recommend it to. Because if you're mm-hmm. if you're just into comic books, I wouldn't recommend it because it's not the Modoc that that you know and love. And if you're just into like Pat Oswald, I wouldn't recommend it because it's too robot chickeny, and it's mostly comic book jokes. But if you're into comic books and Pat Oswald, <laughs> probably have a good time. Anything else? Uh, nope. That's it. What about uh, Jupiter's Legacy? Uh, you were watching that last week. Did you finish it up? I have not watched a single more episode of it. Oh. Okay. Did you watch the Eternals trailer for Marvel? I did. Although, yeah, it doesn't tell you jack trailer. shit. <laughs> no. I was like, wow, this tells me nothing about what this movie is supposed to be about. I mean, it's pretty obvious that they're going to try to tell a very long story. Mm hmm. Which is going to be interesting. It'll be. I. I don't understand how you do a movie format for a story that takes place over a hundred thousand years. If that makes sense. I was assuming time jump. I'm assuming introductory, introductory, in some olden time of them coming to Earth, and then time jump to big bad, and they have to come out of hiding to fight it. No. Yeah, I saw saw some people being like, "Man, what a bunch of dicks!" Didn't try to help fight Thanos when he was. Uh... Tears it up. Everyone keeps bringing that up. They're like a lot of the other stuff I can see not coming out for, but Thanos. <laughs> Everybody showed up to fight Thanos. Unless, of course, the thing is going to be that they did. They just did. I was going to say they got a they got a special edition some shit, and like when uh, Hawkeye and Black Widow go to get the Soul Stone, you see one hiding behind a rock. Ooh, that's. Like, right. That, you guys have actually got me thinking some dangerous thoughts now, though. Because if you start fucking... What if you start retconning 
Eh, Tony's not that much of a hero because he wouldn't have been able to save the day without these guys stepping in. Kind of ruin it, right? Yeah. So I think they're just, I, hopefully they're just going to come up with some dialogue as to why it was inappropriate for them to interfere. Maybe one of them can see the future enough to know that they were going to, the Avengers would eventually save the day. Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's maybe we're saying that, uh, maybe the Eternals will be the Nikki and Paolo of the, uh, from Lost. That's what they'll be on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. I don't know, we'll see what happens. Again, we're speculating so much because the trailer was just like, here's these characters. Now they'll yeah, make a couple of jokes. This this one will be interesting because it's a group of characters that I'm going into that for once, I just, I fucking know absolutely nothing about what the fuck is going on. Black Knight, I know. But the rest of those mm-hmm. characters, I have no idea who the fuck any of them are. Which, other than someone telling you the Black Knight was in that trailer, <laughs> would you uh, have any clue that he's in there? No. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, he's kind of he's kind of defined by the sword. Cause so until you see the sword, yeah. Look at his kick-ass helmet. He does have a sick-ass helmet. Uh, all right, Doug. What have you watched since last week? Not much. I uh, I did finish Jupiter's Legacy. Um, just gonna say it went from a meh okay last week to a not recommend by the time it was over. Ooh. Ouch. Um, just it's sometimes when a, a movie comes to a climax, it's actually kind of like what I was saying about Time Cop. It's like when the movie comes to a climax and you realize you just don't care what happens to these people. You're like, oh. Why do I have to watch this then? And I really found myself watching the last episode because I felt like I need to finish this more so than because I wanted to see what happened. And there's, you know, there's people are betraying each other and there's violence. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't give a shit at all. Like, and it was a real problem for me. Um, I'm not sure exactly why I didn't give a shit. I think it's the pacing issues I was referencing last week when we talked about like them jumping from one storyline to the next and stuff. And I think uh, it just, I didn't get involved in any one of the storylines. And just didn't care at all by the end. So, mm. kind of a swing and a miss, in my opinion. Um, and I haven't, like, I haven't watched another movie, really. I rewatched Jaws, if you want me to talk about that again. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, if I talk about Jaws every time I watch it, it's this has become the Jaws cast. I, I think the only other I thing t- I, I can tell you, I can tell you a Jaws story when you're done. All right. Jaws is very good. What's your Jaws story? <laughs> so our, our, we have this museum that has like a giant, it's not, it's not IMAX, but it's like a giant movie screen. Yeah. It's just, it's some other brand. I don't know what the brand is. And so sometimes they'll show classic movies and, I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Jaws in the theater. So I went to see it. Took Randy with me. Randy's like, yeah, I've seen Jaws before. Uh, so we're sitting there, and it's the scene where the dude's decapitated head pops up in the hole of the boat. Yeah. Randy jumped about 10 feet out of, out of his chair. And I, afterwards, I was like, what the fuck, dude? And he's like, you know what? I think I realized I've only ever watched Jaws on TV. That scene was never in the version. It was edited out on TV because it was too gory, I guess. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so he had he had no idea and it scared the living shit out of him. 
I, I was just laughing my ass off the whole time. I wanted to get a copy of the TV edit of Jaws and see see what it's like without that scene. Yeah. Because the, the interesting thing is I've seen interviews with Spielberg where he talks about how that scene is a bit of a mistake because you get that one big kind of jump scare and then it takes away from the one where the shark first makes its big appearance when uh, Roy Schneider's doing the chumming later in the movie. So I wonder if, in his opinion, if it's a weird George Lucas thing, where in his opinion the TV cut is actually a little better because it has only the one big jump scare. Well, I'm I hope just, not. Just wondering then if it's like okay, he's he's swimming down there, he finds that you know shark tooth in the hole of the boat, and he pulls it out and looks at it, and then just like gets scared for no reason, like sh- 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 shark tooth, and then like drops it and like swims back to the surface. It's <laughs> <Is> zoinks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm yeah, curious Jaws, how that plays. Jaws is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I've said it before. It's arguably the greatest movie. Um, probably, probably if you're if you're if you're objectively analyzing film, it's the best movie ever made. So, RoboCop. I mean, I, we don't need to get into this argument. Um, <laughs> RoboCop but, versus Jaws. Yeah, no, it's not. That's not a productive use of our time to pit those movies. The best, the the. The crown of best movie of all time is a pretty uh, tooth-breaking knockout <laughs> track-down fight of about three or four different movies that you're like, fuck, it's it's one of these, but I don't know which one. Yeah, I mean, my argument in favor of Jaws would be basically that you, like, tell me who's not going to like Jaws. It's a, you know what I mean? Like, RoboCop, yes, we all love it. But would it be? There's going to be a very large audience of people who would be turned off by the hyperviolence and everything. Jaws just works for absolutely everybody on absolutely every level. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's true because I know people that don't like Jaws. Well, those people are terrible human beings, and you should disassociate yourself from them. I should. Uh, I should bust out the uh, Jaws, the Grindhouse cut that I have. Let's see if I can rip that or something. I would like to watch that. Um, yeah, so they essentially turned Jaws into way more of like a grindhouse movie. Yeah, it's got much more of like a swinging soundtrack to it, and uh, yeah, they just re-edited it in a couple ways that make it a lot more fun. Like when uh, Brody's towards the beginning, when Brody's sitting on the beach and he's just like staring out into the water, and he kind of gets that weird smile on his face as he's just kind of sitting there in this. The shark exploitation cut. He's just staring at a woman in a bikini the whole time. It's not unreasonable. <laughs> I gotta watch that. I gotta watch that now. I try to track down and copy that. Yeah, let's see if I can figure out a way to rip it or something. Uh, anything else, Doug? Uh, the only other thing I've been watching, because it's your guys' job to handle the what have you been watching segment during NHL playoffs you know that um, sure but I, I have been watching the bad batch have you guys been paying attention to that I've oh, watched I the first that. two episodes yeah yeah it, it is I went into it completely blind it is a fucking group of people running around the Star Wars universe and they all have their own special powers and wear their own special costume I'm like is this fucking Star Wars meets G.I. Joe is that what they invented here because <laughs> that's just I wish that had existed when I was a kid, and I've I've been really enjoying it on that level. It's just 
I really liked the first episode where we kind of got to know all the characters. It is getting a little TV-ish already by like episode four or whatever I'm on, where you're like, oh, what's this week's adventure? But I still really like all the characters and stuff. So I'm enjoying it quite a yeah. bit. Yeah, I agree. Um, without saying who it is, uh, uh, there is a character from The Mandalorian on this last episode. No, I'm uh, sorry. I'm trying to see if this shark exploitation edit is anywhere on the uh, internet, but I'll look, I'll look at it later. Uh, yeah, Bad Batch. I've been greatly enjoying it. I, I didn't know about it. Or do any these characters show up in like Clone Wars or anything? No. I, I don't recognize any a, of them. I think the idea is that this, was this like sort thing. of is parallel to Clone Wars, I think is the idea. Yeah, I just didn't know if they're like this when when all the stormtroopers were still I don't know, good guys if you could call them that. I didn't know if there was like an episode where these guys show up or something. No, I think I I think but, this no, show I'm was almost entirely it. written to explain Snoke. Mm. Really? Yeah. Hmm. All right. We'll see. It's been good so far. So hopefully, uh, like Doug said, though, they are doing a little like, well, we have to stop on this planet. And guess what? <laughs> we're gonna run into some trouble. Yeah. Ah, we're out of the trouble. All right, let's hop back on the <laughs> on the ship. Go to another planet. Yeah. Which is, I mean, what you're going to get in a Star Wars show. But, mm-hmm. you, yes, I mean, I, we talk about it enough that i just not the biggest fan of television for that reason. For, like, an overarching story mm-hmm. and fewer episodes as, as appropriate. But no. no complaints. But, yeah, that's, I mean, that's about all I've watched because unless you guys want to talk about hockey, we can talk about hockey. <laughs> no, yeah, that's all right. That guy did that thing to that other guy, and he's dirty. That guy's a dirty player for doing that thing to that other guy. Hockey. Uh, <laughs> so I watched a uh, two movies. Um, one of them is... Uh, is this it? I think this is it. I think it's up on archive.org. Fantastic. Um, so I watched a documentary called Skin, the history of nudity in movies. Um, and it's actually like a pretty solid, like history documentary. Um, yes, they do show a lot of clips of naked people all the way from like the late 1800s, all the way up till present. Uh, but this is actually kind of interesting where they start comparing, how they just started putting nudity and everything to sell movie tickets, and then the Hayes Code came into effect. And well, yeah, <laughs> it was it was pretty much they invented the camera, and then there were nude people. Yeah, and then there was, I would argue, mostly tasteful nudity, and then the Hayes Code, no nudity. Slightly into mm-hmm. the Hayes Code, only nudity in foreign films, and then yeah. Hayes Code goes away. Shit, tons of gratuitous nudity. And now we're kind of back to <laughs> just nudity when when somebody wants to throw in some nudity. Yeah, it uh, you know they get to the 1980s section and a lot of it's just like, yep, pretty much if you were a comedy, you had to have tits in it somewhere. Otherwise, there was no point even putting 
in the movie yet. Uh, but they talked to a lot of actresses and actors. Uh, uh, they talked to... Uh, um, um, what's her name? Like, Mariel Hemingway about... She did a couple... She did a couple movies where she was nude in it, and then, like, apparently they just asked her to be in this documentary, and she didn't seem to have a problem talking about it, because she was in a movie called Star 80, which is kind of a fucked up movie, but I haven't seen it, but I need to, because I know the true story it's based on, which is, uh, so, she's like a girl from just, like, a small town, somebody at a store is like, you should be a model, and then she ends up becoming a model, and becomes super famous, and in Playboy and like all this stuff uh, and then starts having an affair because her husband is like this really I don't want to say a pimp but I mean he just has a lot of weird connections and pretty much tries to get her to do all kinds of crazy stuff for money and she ends up dating she ends up like cheating on him with uh, the director Peter Bogdanovich and uh, her husband finds out and basically kills her and then kills himself. And they made a movie about it. <laughs> it even that is crazy. Sh- shot shot it, part of the, the finale part of it, in the actual house where it actually happened. Oh, I don't <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's good filmmaking for accuracy or bad filmmaking for being fucking tasteless. Yeah, um, but Eric Roberts plays the uh, pimp slash husband guy, and uh, yeah, they talk to him about it. There's just lots of interesting stuff. They go over just a lot of stuff. If you're a fan of like movies and movie history and stuff, it's actually a pretty, pretty uh, interesting documentary to watch. Like you know, first you would think, oh yeah, they're just gonna show a bunch of clips of topless women, which they totally do, and that's fine, but they actually have like a pretty good discussion to go along with it and how it changes throughout history and like all that stuff. So I would uh I would recommend. So how, it's definitely worth a watch. How far into the documentary is it before they play uh uh John Walsh's ILBTs? Uh that I don't song, know what that is that that song has to be in that fucking documentary. I don't think it is. Really? I find that, uh, I find I, that I, impossible to believe. I don't remember. I don't remember hearing it, at least. It's the song, I Like Big Tits. Mm-hmm. See them on yeah. the street, left and right. I love big tits. <laughs> I think they were trying to be more tasteful, Noah. I don't know. I couldn't imagine just yeah. whatever it hits the 80s. It, it seems like that would be the perfect time. Yeah. It, uh, but I mean, yeah, they talked to people. They talked to Shannon Elizabeth, you know, from the late 90s when the American Pie stuff was going on. She basically says, Yeah, if I wouldn't have taken my top off, I probably wouldn't have had a career. So, I mean, they just try to look at all these different sort of aspects of actresses getting topless and stuff in movies and how it worked and all that stuff. So, did they delve into any of the film theory behind like the different uses of nudity? So I always find that to be an interesting topic of discussion. Such as? Um, I don't know. I Like some people will say, okay, obviously sometimes nudity is just there like 
to titillate, but it can also mm -hmm. be used sometimes by a good director to uh, to create a sense of like oh, what's the word I'm looking for like vulnerability. Exposure. Yeah, exposure, yeah. vulnerability, or times. And so I, I read an interesting article a bunch of years ago, and they talked about scene in uh, Zombie or Zombie Two, whatever you want to call it, where the woman's like stripping her clothes off on the boat and you're like oh man look chicks take getting all naked and stuff and the next thing you know she's like in the water with a zombie and the director is kind of using that nudity according to this theory to like create a more of a mm -hmm. make her seem even more vulnerable and even it's an even more scary situation and it's kind of a clever way that they were able to kind of do that and I, I always find those types of discussions interesting when you get into the because it's it's obviously you know you think you do you think 80s comedy films and like you're saying it's just it's just purely like just to get people's attention and to make teenage boys want to come see your movie but then they can also take it a step beyond that and I've, I've heard similar discussions about use, the use of gore in films sometimes it's you know just there to discuss people and sometimes it serves other purposes as well so I, find, I always find that interesting I find I find the idea of them using that particular movie is an example of, of artistic nudity to be strange, saying how it's, it's Fulci. Fulci's just tits and violence. <laughs> like it's... That particular scene, according to the writer, I can't, I'm trying to remember the writer's name, because I should give some well, that, credit if I'm going to comment their work, but... That, that writer is wrong. That's Fulci. Fulci was like, tits and violence. Put them tits in the water. Let that zombie get her. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> well, and okay, even if uh, even if Fulci's intents weren't entirely artistic, the impact can still be artistic. It's the beauty of art; it can be. It's I, open to I interpretation. Agree. Uh, they don't go too far into that. I mean, there's a couple, you know. Um, yeah, I did my due nudity as long as it's integral to the story and stuff like that. Yeah. And, but I mean, they don't. Uh, I don't think they get quite as philosophical about it no did they ever get into any of the chicks that um would do nudity and then suddenly start refusing to as soon as they were famous enough <laughs> no I remember they, I mean, they talked to like diane they talked to like diane franklin from um uh, uh better off dead and last american virgin and stuff like that yeah so she talks about how she was nude in like two movies and she didn't want to be known as yeah. The girl who takes her top off and everything, so she kind of wanted to try not to do it <laughs> after a certain point. Yeah, but I mean that was that was about it. They don't talk to. Um, I'm trying to think who's the because there's like an actress who did like a billion nude scenes, and then she's like got all religious or something, and then oh, yeah. yeah. But I mean they don't really talk to any of them because I'm sure they probably didn't want to be in this documentary, but. Because even like I remember when they talked to uh, they talked to Sybil Danning. Okay, she's you know she did a shit ton of nude scene. They did go over the Roger Corman uh, women in prison movies. Oh yeah, yeah. And there's <laughs> there's one guy who's like talking about it, and he's just like you know, I'm just saying if there was any justice in this world, Pam Greer would have taken over Hollywood. And then they cut to an interview with Pam Greer. So, so it's a fun documentary. I, I recommend giving it a watch. 
Uh, and the other thing I watched, I think, would be Noah's new favorite movie, if you ever watched it. Ooh. Uh, a little movie called Psycho Goreman. Oh, yeah? I keep, I keep seeing it pop up. I need to watch it. Yeah, it's on Shutter right now at the moment. Um, so, so if you take the Power Rangers, uh, or you take like the aesthetics of the Power Rangers, like the costuming and stuff, and you All put right. it into a movie, put it into a movie where essentially Thanos comes to Earth to destroy it, but then like a 12 year old girl gets a hold of the one thing that like essentially this 12 year old girl gets a hold of the infinity gauntlet and then just makes Thanos do shit for her. And it's all 12 year old girls bullshit. And that's basically kind of what happens in this movie. Go tell Becky. I'm not fat. I don't want to. <laughs> so it's, it's, fun it's i would try not to let it get too overhyped but it's just the aesthetics of it and just the weird like what the fuck is going on in this movie i think i think Noah would definitely dig it yeah i was gonna say the funny thing is i i I get the aesthetic they're going for but you could play that for such a pure horror movie there is there is nothing in this world more evil and more terrifying than a 12-year-old girl. Yeah. I mean, they got to play that up. Yeah, She's yeah, kind of a bitch. Nothing. So Right. They're, they're terrible. I have yet to meet one. They, they tend to get better real quick, but there's a weird little spot right there in them preteens where they just become pure evil. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and it's, this movie's like super gory too, so... Nice. When the dude first shows up, he just grabs two people by the top of their head, and just rips their entire heads off, and blood shoots up everywhere. So it's got a shit ton of uh, shit ton of blood, lots of weird, like crazy effects, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just fun. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. So Doug, you picked movies for next week. I did. We're watching. Are you sure? You're supposed. You're supposed was, to. Yeah, and uh, I was torn between different things, but since we got into our whole Jaws discussion, I think we might as well just delve into some of Steven Spielberg's early work, specifically oh. his made-for-TV movies, Duel, which I'm pretty sure we're all going to end up liking, and Something Evil, which I have never seen and don't know what it is. Oh, me neither. Duel, also known as that movie that isn't those 20 other movies that have the exact same plot. You keep saying that, but I think if you rewatch Duel, you'll find out that there aren't that many movies that are quite like it. Like, yes, there are many other movies where there's like, like a guy in a truck bumping into a car on the highway, but there's none where it's done quite in this way, where it's sort of, that's all that's going on. Not, I'm not saying Duel isn't better. I'm just saying, holy fuck. There's a lot, a lot of, of there are a lot of remakes of Duel. All right. Well, your job will be to try and explain that comment next week. You have a whole week to do research. By which I mean, you can probably Google it once and come up with a list. I'm going to try to do that. And then instead, I'm going to watch the movie Trucks and I'm going to watch it 25 times. 
trucks from 97 oh. the shitty remake of maximum overdrive that's, that's what you're gonna watch that's that's right so why let's just torture onto yourself why would you watch a good movie when you could watch the worst movie yeah, I was gonna, I, not that I've seen trucks enough times or recently enough to give specific commentary on it, but wow, it was terrible when I saw it that one time. I mean, once again, it's the shitty version of Maximum Overdrive, and Maximum Overdrive is not a good movie. See, I'm going to disagree. You're, you're, I think, you're right. You're right. It's a great movie. I think Maximum Overdrive. It's fantastic. It's just also right. a bad movie. Give my opinion if you guys. Oh, keep sorry, I didn't mean to talk <laughs> over. Yes, you did. No, is it responding to Brian? <laughs> I was just gonna say I think the problem with Maximum Overdrive is that everyone thinks it's a shitty horror movie, but it's actually a very good comedy film, and the marketing just betrayed it. That's all. And I possibly guess. the director was so high on cocaine during the making of it that he thought he made a horror film, but actually made a comedy film, and therefore didn't tell anyone that until after the marketing had been established. I accept both of those explanations. Also, Green Goblin Truck, really yep. fucking good. Doesn't make any sense, but I like it. Maximum Overdrive's going on the list. <laughs> Slap it on there with trucks. No, I'm not watching trucks again. <laughs> Slap it on there with the miniseries Tommyknockers. It's got a soda machine that kills somebody. Does it? I don't know. I've never seen Tommy Knockers, but I'm not sure that I'm going to want to watch oh, it. Oh, no. No, we're not. That'd, that'd be a two-night event. It is, is, is very long. <laughs> very, very bad. That'll be, that'll be the punishment the next time somebody doesn't watch the movies. i got to sit through Tommy Knockers and the Langoliers back-to-back. <laughs> See, I once again, you say punishment. Lingoliers is delightful. I don't care what anybody says. That was that's the Bronson Pinchot fan. You like that horrible uh, CGI of the monsters eating reality? Oh, Jesus! That, like I said, that CGI is is that is toilet CGI is bad. I haven't seen that movie since it aired on television, and I remember that CGI. And I remember, I like as a kid thinking, "Wow, that's that's really bad CGI." Like, I don't even think I knew see the term CGI yet when that movie came out. But I'm like, "Well, I know that looks terrible, whatever that is." I just some sometimes I like to imagine that whenever they go to make these movies, they go directly to Stephen King and they ask him to describe the monster. And he just like shouts random words, and in that one he just went Pac-Man buzzsaws. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, Pac-Man buzzsaws. Okay, well, let's go, let's go CGI that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I could rewatch that movie. I own it on DVD, but oof, that'd be a tough one. It's just it's disappointing how many bad Stephen King adaptations there are. Have we done Christine on the show? I don't think so. Do Maximum Overdrive and Christine? Just, are we gonna do a Killer Cars Week and then a Killer Truck Week? And you know, it would make a good um, month for a uh, month, month year. Stephen King month. <laughs> right. Shut up with your stupid month, month year. It's happening. Twenty twenty two month, month year. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.
And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. I have a bad thing, which is that they turn to the um, all of the what do you call them? Like splash pads back on for the kids. They open them back up, but they didn't announce that. So now every time you get near a park, there's just a bunch of kids sitting there soaking wet and a bunch of parents just staring at each other like none of you brought a towel either, eh? No. Yeah. What the so fuck is a splash pad? Just, you know what splash pads are? Yeah. Just no. like in a park, there's just like an area that's like a little mini water park for the kids in the park. Push a button and then all these things start spraying water everywhere. No. No. That's yeah. just that's just we a have... water it's just a water park. You know those dangerous rusty uh fake horses on a spring yeah yeah that yeah that's what we got we have those too so suck it <laughs> <laughs> one thing I'm, I'm actually glad about in our society is it does feel as though we're going back to slightly more dangerous parks like all the all the new parks that get built have those big things like they're kind of shaped like a Christmas tree but they spin and the kids can climb on the outside of it and somebody spins it on them and stuff I'm yeah, glad but to see now that they've got that kids to fall off of. But now they've got that weird stuff underneath it where the ground's kind of like made of soft rubber. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Instead yeah, of I remember, <laughs> instead of I remember, either rocks or shards of wood. <laughs> yeah. Yep. When I was when I was in grade school, we had the playground that had the tiny pebbles. Yeah. So I'd fall off shit, skin my knee, and have pebbles stuck in my knee. <laughs> Like every day. Where, where I went to elementary school from grades five through eight was just a parking lot. Like, and it was literally like when we were, we, we literally, as kids, when they one day when they were painting the lines in the parking lot that was our schoolyard. And we were out at recess while they were doing this, and we were just basically told to stay away from them. We ended up flagging the one guy down and getting him to draw in like hockey nets with the paint, so that we could use them for playing like what we call foot hockey, which was like kind of like soccer but with a tennis ball. And we actually got him to draw that in. That was the extent of our games. And they would have some <laughs> some game that was like four squares painted in a row, and I don't know what it was. I never learned the rules. I like to imagine the Canadians just refer to every game as some kind of hockey. They're like lacrosse. That's net hockey. <laughs> high lie. That's tossy hockey. I don't know what high lie is. But... High lie is that game that was super, super popular for two weeks in the 1970s that, uh, you know those those curved things that you can buy for your dog that you put a tennis ball in it and let you whip a tennis ball oh, really yeah, far? Yeah. Okay, it's that, but with a rock that with goes rock. at like a hundred and something miles an hour. Oh, okay, because I had those things that we when I was a kid that you would throw the tennis ball back and forth. Yeah, yeah, it's it's those, but it's a rock. Right. And well, in the game is you it. toss it back and forth absolutely as hard as you can. It's a ter- it's a terrifying thing. That seems like people would just get hurt. Doesn't even seem like you're a trying lot. not to hurt people. Yeah. Yeah, they would get hurt a lot and very badly. 
Didn't they play that in Tron? Something, kind something like, like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, in the 1970s, it got real popular, and it was mostly real popular because people were gambling on it. Uh, oh, what the fuck is that criminal's name? Whitey, Whitey Bulger. Oh yeah, was was real famous because he was involved in like fixing highlight games and stuff. Jesus, seventies was fucked, man. <laughs> 